unknownst to my parents is that both John and Sarah were pedophiles. And at age four and a half in front of my siblings, I was taken, I was, I was kidnapped overnight, taken to California, and then trafficked, uh, uh, abused and trafficked for a full six years. Hi friends, this is Read and Write with Natasha podcast. My name is Natasha Tynes and I'm an author and a journalist. In this channel, I talk about the writing life, review books and interview authors. Hope you enjoy the journey. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Read and Write with Natasha. Uh, today we have with us uh, author Antonio Salazar. Hobson. Uh, he was the 11th of 14th migrant farm workers, children born in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Antonio, at age four, was kidnapped by a childless, middle-aged white couple and was trafficked until the age of 10. As a teenager, Antonio met Cesar Chavez and was taken under his wing a miracle which helped define his life. Antonio worked with Cesar over the next two decades. Antonio got a master's from Sanford in Latin American studies as a Donforth Fellow and then went uh, on to graduate law school from U.S. David's Law School and became a labor lawyer working with the United Farm Workers and large international unions for the past 30 years. Antonio, wow, what a story. <laughs> I don't think I will ever forget what I just uh, read. I mean, it's, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm speechless. Mm -hmm. So I am not going to do the talking. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let you do the talking. So Antonio, uh, welcome. So happy to have you here. And thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to read your story. So for anyone who is watching or listening, uh, can you please tell us a bit about your book, your memoir? I have it here with me, Antonio, We Know You. And uh, tell us just a bit about your memoir. Sure. Well, thank you so much. It's, you know, it's a great pleasure to be with you, uh, Ms. Tynes, this morning. And uh, uh, I have followed all of your progressive work over the years, and it's been very, very impressive. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a chance to, to write this very unique memoir as far as we know, it's the only kind in the genre that has ever existed. Uh, the book is called Antonio, We Know You, and it's predominantly a book about, about cultural pride, family love, family reconciliation, hope, uh, and it's all set up against the background of what you alluded to, that I was kidnapped at age four and a half uh, by these wet pedophiles, uh, by, by these white uh, pedophiles, uh, at the outset, and I'll go into more detail, the, the title of my book comes from Cesar Chavez and, and the importance of the relationship which I had with him and how he completely shaped my life. I'd also like to just begin by saying that the foreword of my book is by Jimmy Santiago Bacan, who is the most famous poet and uh, author of the last 40 years for Chicanos in the country, if not the world. And the book is being translated in, into Spanish. It's been fully translated. Mm. Uh, and now, as you've alluded to, um, uh, you know, my my parents 
uh, Jesus and Petra Salazar uh, were migrant workers, and they worked the national fruit picking circuit throughout the United States for over 40 years, which means they never had a permanent home for, the, for, for themselves or their children. Uh, I am the 11th of 14 migrant children, and my family landed in Phoenix, Arizona, in the first projects built there. And uh, astonishingly enough, you, now you'll hear my name, Antonio Salazar hyphen Hobson, right? That's a very important fact here. The Hobsons lived virtually next door to where the Salazars were, within a hundred feet of them. And they were childless, they were white, and they spoke Spanish, and they were the only white people who had ever befriended the Salazars, you know, because we keep within our own culture. And unknownst to my parents is that both John and Sarah were pedophiles. And at age four and a half in front of my siblings, I was taken, I was, I was kidnapped overnight, taken to California, and then trafficked, uh, uh, abused and trafficked for a full six years, uh, which was of course, you know, a very, very debilitating, you know, soul searing experience. But what I'm trying to emphasize of what I, what I survived in the early years is really a backdrop to a story of great hope, of great love, and, and also of, of um, reconciliation. And I, would, and I feel like a starting point is I didn't make it without any saviors in my life. Mm. My, my, initial, my initial saviors were the Mexican families that I met along the way between the ages of six and 13 who befriended me, who took me under their wing. They never knew my true circumstances, but they knew I was a lost kid and I was just accepted and fed. That was, I mean, that was very important in terms of retaining my identity and my Spanish. But the first true savior was Cesar Chavez. And I was a, I was a farm worker, student at age 15 in the Central Valley of California. And he invited many of my high school uh, classmates, my Chicano classmates, to go uh, meet him at a rally. And we were there two hours early and he interviewed all of us one by one, five minutes or so at a time. And he saw something in me as a 15 year old, which I absolutely did not see in myself. And he asked all of us present if we would volunteer to be his youth bodyguards, not only at that rally, but also at all the other rallies that were close to us in the Central Valley. And we agreed. And I did that for a year with him and, and uh, was devoted. And Cesar took me aside and I was 16 years old. And I was about to go to college. And he said, Antonio, I think you have the talent to become a labor lawyer for the movement. Hmm. Would, you, would you consider doing that for me? And I never looked back. I had no dream prior to that dream. And I ran with that dream. I ran with that dream for 35, 40 years. And it's defined my life working on behalf of, 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 of working people. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, also just want to say that, that uh, you know, I, I wrote this book really for, for three reasons. One was, uh, you know, Natasha was to provide a legacy for my family. As you know, people of color, their families, their histories are often 
they, you know, they go unridden. Mm-hmm. Our, you know, our, our dignity is taken away. Our hard work is taken away. The acknowledgement that we built this nation is taken away. And yet, obviously, white people have a preference in terms of their biographies and, 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 and their memoirs. And the Salazars, like so many uh, Chicanos, Mexicanos, and other Latinos, didn't have a legacy. And I wanted to prove to the world that we were hardworking, that we've been hardworking for 50 years, and that we helped build this country. And this is the Chicano experience. And so, you know, I wrote for that. Uh, and then I wrote for, for the children, for the abused children and the sexually trafficked children, because what I wanted them to know via my own example is that they, that, that they could have some hope of, of a normal life, that when all this abuse is going on, that they needed to protect their heart in some basic way to know they're going to be okay. And to also retain hope that when they become young adults, that they can still have the ability to love. And, and through my own example and through my own loving family, which I developed in my own 40 year marriage and what have you, and my own children, I was able to achieve that. And so I'm hoping that, that this book helps those in my community of, of you know, without regard to color, white child, brown child, black child, Asian child. It doesn't matter. You know, we need to protect. And the third reason why I wrote this book, Natasha, is that we have had very few people on the national stage to talk about child trafficking, child mm-hmm. abuse, mm-hmm. and and it's mostly been white leadership. And not, I'm not saying that there's insignificant people of color who brought this forward, but I know of no Latin voice, no Chicano voice, no Mexicano voice who says, A, I went through this. B, I know what it's like. C, I'm here to provide hope that we can make it. And D, we need us, we need our seat at the table to discuss how this phenomenon, which occurs hundreds of times a day in this country, gets addressed. It's been swept under the rug for, for centuries certainly the last 50 some odd years. And it's only been with the recent court decisions with uh, with the Epstein case, apparently as late as yesterday, that she may get 30 to 50 years now, that, that we've had any sense that of justice. But, mm-hmm. I, but I wanna be part of that justice table for us. And so, you know, my, 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 my book is really unique. And, and, um, and, you know, it, it is, uh, it is utterly truthful. It is, uh, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky to have survived. I came out intact only because my mother, Petra, loved me. And I was with her until I was four and a half years old. And I was a mute child, mm. meaning I didn't speak. So I was the only mute child out of 14. And so I received a lot of special attention until she eventually taught me to speak Spanish when I was, you know, almost four. And, and she showered me with, with attention. So when I was taken, I just thought of two things. I need to get back to Petra, my mother, who loved me and taught me to love. And I need to get back to my family. And I had thousands of memories. I have an extraordinary memory already, 
but I had thousands of memories of my family and they were loving memories. And I knew that that was my family. And I was in a horror, st horror story that I was stuck in for at least a decade. Now, uh, but I had that North Star. I was going to find my family somehow, some way. And it took me a couple of decades. But you'll find in this story not only great love and hope, but family reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's something which which your readership, you know, sh should should take great interest in. And the family came back together after I returned. Um, so you know, people you know often ask me, uh, you know, how was it that I survived? You know how you know how how did I even begin to survive uh, with what happened to me and. And you know, you know what 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 I would say is that if I hadn't had my mother in in my mind, I could have done it. If I hadn't had my family, the thousands of memories, I could have done it. But I knew that I belonged with them, and 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 I knew that that I could still love. And so I just stayed within that very limited set of circumstances mm. and and held on because I knew that I had no other choice but to hold on. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, I, I always had persistent hope. I never gave up. And um, and and that's not giving up is really what what made me what you know what what I am today. It was Cesar Chavez who said, Antonio, you have the talent. You are talentoso enough to be a labor lawyer. I follow that. And then I knew where I was going with my family. And so that gave me the strength to get the advanced degrees that, that I received. That gave me this. I'm the only person in my family that has gone past the seventh grade. And I said to myself, who else in my family can articulate what we went through, our hardship, our dignity? our building of this country in my, you know, within my own family of, of 14. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I think that's me. And it wasn't an easy book to write. Let me tell you, as you can tell, but, yeah. but it is, it is, it is utterly truthful. And, and, and it shows that, that you can endure great pain. If you, if you have, hope. And so I've I took every adverse example and said, all right, you're in this situation. Where do you get the hope from it? Right? What's going to keep you moving forward? Well, one dream is you're going to reunite with your family someday, Antonio. I mean, I'm five and a half, six years old, seven years old. What do I know other than I'm going to go back to my family? Yeah. And 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 so, when you read the when you read the stories, you're going to be seeing me th through the eyes of a four and a half year old, five and a half year old, six year old as I as I struggle to 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 find my own identity. Uh, and remember that the Hobsons were both were both pedophiles. They are both vicious people. They were both horrific alcoholics. You know, Sarah, you know, obviously 
engaged in a great deal of torture of me, unfortunately, you know, which was really terrifying and, uh, and, and other forms of terrible manipulation. I just said, I'm never giving in. I will not give in. And, and so uh, I think they were immensely frustrated by that, but I was a stubborn child. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and, and the other thing is, I think, which was very upsetting to them, and, and, and particularly with regard to my own, you know, Chicano identity, which is what saved me, absolutely saved me, is that, is that I never wanted to be white. I never wanted to be that anglicized Mexicano who was well-educated. I wanted to be with my own people, speak my own language, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eat, eat our food. You know, I have a couple degrees in, in Latin American history. So I'm, I'm, I'm mildly educated in that area. And, um, and, and, and I thought, you know, looking at the Mexican experience, well, my experience is one of the Mexican experiences in this country. Mm. The Salazar's experience is one of the experiences in this country. And it needs to be known. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, you know, you know, my hope that, uh, that this, that this book penetrates your readership and they see that it's very loving, that it's not about exclusively this early abuse. It's certainly the backdrop to the book. But then I prospered, and I prospered with saviors. I prospered with the mother's love, with the family's memories. And then I made it. Hmm. And and at the same time, I followed the dream that Cesar had. And look what I've done with that dream. You know, for 35 years, I've been at the head of labor movements supporting the UFW statewide, nationally, you know, I've known Dolores Huerta for 38 years. I mean, these are people who gave me strength. And 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 so uh, they shaped me. And uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm eternally grateful, you know, for that. Uh, and and uh, so, uh, but I also know, as you and I talked earlier, that, you know, that children of color are treated very differently. Who, who are who are lost yeah so Antonio my question th- that is that this is a story that should have been told earlier on I mean this is an like an amazing you know heartbreaking stories that I'm surprised it's not a movie or it's not like all over the news I mean it's it's just uh, uh, mind-blowing what happened to you and you just published this book three three months ago, right? March. I, pu- I published it last last month. Last month, exactly. So, first of all, why did it take you um, a long time to tell us this story? And how come the story is not a Hollywood movie? How come the story is not all over the news? How come I just heard about it, um, you know, from from a uh, just a. a you know, press release I read. There's how come it's not all over CNN? I'm just, just well, you stuck. know. I mean, I mean, you know. I think that's the question of the day. 
All right. That is the question. All right. We have been underrepresented. We have virtually no voice. We have virtually no voice of someone who's endured what I endured. We know that for sure. We have, you know, we have no, you know, I am a trial attorney. You know, I work in federal court yeah. for 35 years. I have never lost a case in my career. Some of my cases go three years. Consent decrees on behalf of, of Latino women on unions, you know, on tribes. I am an advocate. And and all I'm just saying is that having a seat at the table, whether it was with me and a bunch of other sisters, right? We need to be there. And I want to raise holy hell and say, look how you have treated us as people of color, children of color, abandoned children of color, raped children of color, sexually trafficked children of color. Instead, you've looked at your white children as you should have. You investigated properly with your white children as you should have. You, you, you put them in the national press. They were followed daily in the press until you found them. Mm. There were no resources that were held back. Well, for us, there was nothing. In my example, you know, uh, for two years, the sheriff's department, the police department in Arizona did nothing to search for me. I came from a monolingual family that spoke Spanish only. We were abysmally poor. We were migrants. We didn't know any English whatsoever, period. And we had a kidnapped child with witnesses, uh, with white people who were never prosecuted, never prosecuted in 10 years. And, uh, and they had the names of the people who took me and nothing happened. And they closed the case. Now, had I been a white child, I would have been looked for. There would have been an investigatory team. I would have been in the papers. And an enormous effort would have been made. And I probably would have been found. Hmm. And probably the people who took me would have gone to prison. Now, why didn't any of that occur? What is the one discerning factor? Oh, I'm brown. Oh, I'm poor. What's, what's the discerning factor on the other side? Oh, he's a white child. That's all you need. And so this is the culture we have lived in. And part of the reason why we need to be on the national stage is to say, we're not going to stay in the shadows anymore. We want equality in investigations. You know, we want the same level of counseling services, the same level of police services. You know, we want everything that white children deserve to get. And I want to be really clear. I, did, I have no bias against white abducted children. They need the same amount of help that we need. And I embrace them fully. But I have to, I have to reflect on how we're treated as black people, you know, as Asian people, as Latin people, and maybe as other minorities. Uh, and, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, my, my book is written to prove this example and, 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 to, and to alert us 
that this is now un unacceptable. Now, you'll notice, um, uh, Ms. Tynes, that in the last year and a half, finally the national press has started to pay attention, right? Uh, now, this has never happened before. This phenomenon has, has existed for generations. But, you know, we're covering trials. Several billions of dollars of settlement fees have now been paid by universities and religious organizations to settle sexual claims. Several billions of dollars, and there will be more. Policies have been changed. Whole new, whole new practices and counselors have been brought in. All that is to the good. It's just that it can't come into a select few of people. It has to be distributed throughout all of us. All of us have to have those advantages. And, and you know, part of what I talk about in my book is, is, you know, you have to tell someone if this is happening to you. Well, if you're telling someone and they're not going to do anything about it, if you're telling a white policeman in a racist town this has happened, but by a child and they're not going to do anything about it, that's very discouraging. Now, theoretically, if you tell a counselor or a policeman, they will immediately report. Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a really significant difference. But why? But why did it take so long? Yeah, I mean, for me, why did it take that long for for you to publish the book? Was it really hard to write, or do you didn't find an agent, or you couldn't? You know, I mean, because your story happened almost. 30 years ago, correct? Yeah. Or, or more. And why this story has not been told before? Why now? Well, well, you know, the reason why is that I wanted to complete my career. Okay. I, I wanted to fully know my family, okay. whom I've now, now known for 40 years. Okay. And I also knew, knew that this was going to be a, a difficult subject for them to, to hear about. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, and so... Uh, you know, I spent years thinking about writing it. I really did. Okay. And, and uh, it was finally when I stopped, I, when I started to semi-retire, I said, Antonio, you have an obligation. It's not like, eh, it'd be sort of nice if you did this. But, you know, you don't have to. You know, just go sit in the sun. And I said, no, that's not who you are. You're an advocate. You protect people period. You've got to go protect your family. You have to go protect these children. You have to let them know what happened. And you have to, and you have to be part of this dialogue. And that's what forced me to sit down and write it. Mm. Uh, and uh, just as both a social obligation, an emotional obligation, a political obligation, and, and, and also knowing that, that these things you know, occur throughout the world. As you know, Natasha, you know, you know, yeah. there are, they say there are 25 million abducted or enslaved people in this world. I mean, think about that figure. Uh, how many of them are, uh, you know, like Chicanos or Mexicanos or, or people of color? Do you have any, any figures on that? N no, uh, we don't. And I, you know, I think that's just simply lack of research. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, if if you were to go into most families, large families, uh, you would find that there would be some level of difficulty. Not saying that it would occur, but 
some level of ignorance on these issues, right? And every one of these families, in order to protect their children, need to be educated, need to know about the resources that they can call. My book has a list of 20 resources in, in every language that people can call parents and children alike as, you know, as to how to get help. Now, help is really one phone call away. It wasn't like that when I was young. Yeah. And, 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 and so we're, you know, we're beginning a new generation of responsibility, but how, whether it's penetrating, whether it's getting through to all the families, right? If we don't have a full national discussion about how people of color are affected, I can only believe that it's not getting through to us. You know, it's a bunch of white people whom I admire. I'm talking about white allies whom I admire deeply. But it's a bunch of white allies telling us how it could be. We can tell them how it is. We can tell them what we live, what we have lived through and survived. This is this is not an, an, a social experiment. This is what we've endured, and, and so that's that's why we need to have, you know, our you know our our voices there, um, and um, and so, and. So what was the reaction to the book? I mean, well, I mean, because I was like looking at the reviews. I mean, the reviews are positive, but <clears throat> I wanted to. Like was there shock? The same amount of 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 shock that I I endured when I reading this. Like I couldn't believe this actually happened. And what did you get any? Or it's still uh, new. You're still trying to spread yeah, no, the word about well, it. Well, I just I but, um, I, can you adjust? Can you adjust your camera a bit because your half of your face is hidden? Okay, how's that? Yeah, is that was that better? Th- yeah. I apologize. Uh, uh, what, what, you know what I was going to say is. You know, I think I received four or five reviews, including Kirkus. I just received three more last week, all all very positive. Uh, you know, I think the 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 challenge of the book. Uh, you know, I was lucky to find a publisher quite quickly for it. Uh, okay. You know, with 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 an agent, uh, is that you know, I made a a judgment call. Okay. And that judgment call was a difficult one to make, and I decided that I needed to write a book that didn't just fade into gray as to what abuse looked like. Okay. Now, I only have about eight pages that are graphic in the entire book. Okay. Maybe seven. That's it. Yeah, the but, beginning of the book. Yeah, yeah, at the, yeah. yeah in, in, in the first, I think, like page 60 or 70, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. But I wanted people to say, let's not have any illusions. It's not like... You have, you know, you abuse a child and it goes to gray and you don't know what happens to them. Yeah. This is what happens to them because this is what happened to me. Yeah. And, 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 and I felt that they needed to have that dose of reality. Okay. Uh, uh, and, you know, it was painful to write about it. I wrote a very diminished version of what had really occurred to me. And, 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 and I think editors were probably shocked by, by the frankness there. Mm. But but I didn't want. I wasn't aware of any other memoir like this. I've had many many publishers look into it. Uh, you know my press people and what have you. 
none of them have found a book like this. And so that's why I think it deserves its own unique place. I hope there will be more books written by our by our community, about you know, by our people. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time on Spanish radio with this as well. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that that as you said, that that I will break through. It's only been six weeks, but but I'm not gonna stop being a spokesperson. And 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 I'm going to just keep driving this and driving this and driving this until we do have that seat at the table and 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 people understand us for for you know for you know what what we endure and and what we're willing to uh to to do about it. And what we're willing to do about it is to stand up now. And 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 that's not something uh, you know that that we've said before. Uh, so you think some mainstream media or ma- mainstream editors and publishers did not want to publish this because there were scenes that were too graphic? Is is that what you think happened? I think there were a couple of publishers that that were taken aback. I will tell you, I received many letters from publishers. Okay. Okay. When I say many, I received four letters from publishers oh. that read that, you know, and I was expecting many rejections. Okay. Uh, I received four letters from publishers rejecting the book. Okay. okay. And each of them wrote, took the time to write incredibly kind letters to me. Okay. Saying, this is the book that needs to be published. Yeah. You have to get this published. It doesn't fit in our wheelhouse, but this book is important. Don't give up. Okay. And then those are followed by actually a publisher accepting it on the spot. You know, reading it through the weekend and saying, yes, we'll do this book. Um, but, you know, we're, I mean, you and I, uh, I believe, uh, Ms. Tynes, are just at the forefront here. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're about to, you know, we're about to, to take on a battle here that, that, that can be won, needs to be won, we, you know, that needs to be inclusive of, of all people. And uh, and this is about our children, our yeah. children, and how they survive as young adults. What else is more important than our children? And 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 so that's why I didn't write the sanitized version. This is what, in this particular case, what what white pedophiles did to me, and how they shared me. You know. So do you think? Do you think that the fact that you were mute you were mexican made you more attractive to them uh made you an easier target uh what let's say you were a a white kid um in a in a poor neighborhood they would not Mm -hmm. have kidnapped you they would they would have realized that okay your parents are not gonna fight enough for you because they don't speak english i you know i i think that's exactly the case i mean what they what they did is that they cherry picked a child they cherry picked a child who they believed was mute. Yeah. Yeah. And couldn't say anything. Yeah. All right. Uh, and they they picked a child who was disposable. Why am I disposable? Because I'm a poor Mexican kid. They knew no one's gonna look after me. I'm a mute child who can't speak for myself, and I'm taken overnight, and that's it. And you and had I, 13 I, other siblings, so like yes. for them, yeah. Yeah. And and so what do they have to worry about? 
they're just going to go into their white pedophile community and their white pedophile males are going to take advantage and the police aren't going to come because they're going to believe white people to begin with, right? And they're already close to the police in some way or another. And so with impunity, with impunity, not a single charge, not, you know, uh, in, and I'll tell you the one thing that was, you know, it's modestly off, off topic, but, you know, uh, John and Sarah in my senior year sent me to juvenile hall. All right. And they sent me to juvenile hall because I was an incorrigible child. And I was living in a three and a half dollar a night motel, which was the cheapest motel for 40 miles on the freeway. Lived there for four years and under 200 square feet with two crazy people, John and Sarah. So El, they Rancho, sent... El Rancho Motel, was it called? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, it's called the, the, the El, El Rancho Motel. And there's yeah. a picture of it in the book. Yeah. Uh, and so I went there and they examined me for eight days. And I looked out my window and I looked across the street and I could see the window where John had just been institutionalized for five months saying he had no family. Okay. I did, it's just a, just an odd coincidence. And then what happened is that I met with the counselors and, and oh, there were six of them and they brought me into the room and I was frightened because it was like day nine. I had no idea. I was graduating in three weeks. I thought I was going to be sent to reform school. I had almost a straight A average student body president of 4,000. I mean, I was doing very well. And they went around the table and they said, we've made one determination, Antonio. It's that John and Sarah Hobson are insane. They are insane. And we will, we're passing out our cards to you with our home cell phone numbers. And you can come with us until you leave for college, any of us, and we will get you there. And that was the first validation of the insanity that I lived in. And mm -hmm. I was released and, and tossed out pretty much the next day, uh, you know, to, to live on my own and, um, and, you know, and, 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 and life and life moved on. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I, I had particularly, you know, vindictive uh, people, John and Sarah, they, they wrote to my college and said, I didn't deserve any of my scholarships and to disqualify me as a student. So when I when I arrived at college, uh, I had nothing. And uh, you know, I you know, I had to fight back just to get just to get my scholarship. So, you know, it was a long daily struggle of holding me back. So, you know, what what I did is I just said I'm not going to give up. I'm going to get this education no matter what and I had a new savior by the name of Norman O'Brown who 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 came, you know, who came and had my my monies restored, but I'm just saying that that you know this is this is how crazy they were, and and once once I was able to leave and go to college at age 16, I you know I never went back, and um, uh, and uh, you know it was it was it, it was a hard life, as you know I spent four yeah. years you know picking fruit in the fields. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to, to make money. And, uh, I worked five years in canneries, you know, I'm not some, some kind of bourgeois Mexican, as you can tell. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I identify as a working class Mexican person. I have an adopted class status just simply because I'm now educated. I get that. But, 
So you know, why did you keep the last name? Hobson? Okay, now this is a very interesting story. Okay. You know, I mean, I was like, okay, why would you have the name of, of the abuser on as your last thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, what happened is that I graduated from law school. Okay. And every one of my degrees, my undergraduate master's degrees, had the name Antonio Salazar Hobson. And so what I did is on the very first court case that I handled, I went into court and I said, I need the hyphen name. I need the hyphen added because I refuse to be addressed as Mr. Hobson. And, uh, but I didn't want to, you know, lose. I was worried about somehow confusing, you know, the loss of my degrees. Mm. And so, and so all my career, I've been known as Salazar Hobson. Obviously now, if I could rip the name from my flesh, I would. But, you know, I was a young man at the time and just trying to survive my first legal job. But you have it on the book. Was it like just to say that this is a true story? I mean, why would you, if, like as an author, you can buy, I mean, you can call yourself Mickey Mouse. I mean, nobody calls, right? Nobody yeah. cares. So why would you keep their name on the book? Well, it's because who I am. I mean, if you call me, you know, if you see my email, it's Salazar Hobson. And, uh, and you know, it's a... It is a mistake I think I probably made 38 years ago. Uh, mm. You know, I, you know, I, I would, you know, I would consider doing it now, but you know, I'm past the Hobsons. You know, I'm, I'm, I, they are, I make them as little a part of me as I possibly can. Uh, and um, is is their name on your license? Everything. Oh wow. I'm, you know, it's no, I mean, you can, you can easily go to court and change it, right? I mean, yes, yeah, I could. I, you know, I guess I could do that one more time, and uh, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, and, and and maybe you're inspiring me at this very moment to do it. Uh, uh, you know, certainly I have I have the capacity. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm just curious because well, it does make for an interesting story that you kept their name. I think it adds more authenticity to your story if people doubt what you said. Um, because when I was reading, I was like, is this true? I mean, could be, could this true? I mean, like I started looking at the pictures. I could not believe it. I mean, it was, it was stranger than fiction, which led me to the question is now with the age, because your story happened what in, in the fifth, in the fifties, right? In the sixties. So, the 60s so now in the age of social media and you know uh tv 24 7 all of that do you think the the hobsons would have got away with it no absolutely not uh you know i think uh the fact that we have computers you know police computers and what have you we could have found them uh but at the same time you know you have to realize i was in a trap yeah. because uh John and Sarah told me two falsehoods. One is that the reason I've been kidnapped is that I told my parents about my abuse. Well, of course, I was a mute child, so that was impossible, but I believe them anyway, you know, yeah. as, as, as young four and a half years olds and five-year-olds do. Uh, and, and then as I got older, five and a half, six, seven, and this, it started thousands of times, I was told that if I were to say anything, that they would go to prison that night uh, and that I would be sent off to an institution and that I would never have a chance to find my family. Mm -hmm. And that was drilled into me many times a day. 
And I was so fearful that I would be lost in the system that that I just said I will stay here and and survive so that I can go find my family. Because if if I'm in the system, you know, I I I, I had visited institutions where John had been. I saw how terrible they were. I mean, you know, mental institutions where John had been. <laughs> I saw how terrible they were. It, they scared me. I didn't know if that's where I was going to be sent. And so I just stayed quiet and angry. Mm -hmm. That's the true story. Yeah. I want to go back to your publishing story. So the publisher that, that picked up your book, is it as, um, what kind of a publisher is it? And how did you find them? Well, you know, did I you mean, just call, send cold emails or how, how did that happen? No, I, I, I didn't send any cold emails to anybody. Uh, okay. I, I, uh, uh, I hired an agent, uh, Leticia Gomez, uh, who's, who's well known. And, uh, and she, she has worked with this woman before who was specialized in memoirs. Okay. Uh, she's been around about 35 years. And, uh, she read the book over a weekend and said, I want this book right now. Okay. And, and so, uh, uh you know that's you know i was just i was just very lucky and i mean i and i never underestimate how lucky i was uh to and and she turned out to be a very patient publisher you know i will say that and it's it's uh, it's based in oregon right why it's mackenzie publishing is yes is, yeah and, and and my understanding is that she may have done as many as as 100 memoirs in her career on top of other things okay. that she that that she's done, so so you it's know, an, is it a, a small press or like an or independent publisher or uh... I I I would call it a, a a small press. Okay, okay, um, yeah, I'm just curious because you know this this podcast as well just to inspire people who also want to tell their stories how to find publishers, how to find agents, and 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 all of that. So when I read this book, I realized like you have a lot of you added a lot of details when you were like four years old for example when you met uh, uh, Sarah's mom at the restaurant you even described the the counter where you sat you described yeah. seeing the reflection yeah. of them yeah. and you were what four for I mean did no, you no. keep a journal I mean no. how how did you how did you manage to add all these details okay. do you have a journal well, no yeah. no i never no i never have a journal but i do have an extraordinary memory you know i my main role is i'm a labor negotiator all right for 35 years okay. i can i can remember bargaining notes that are 32 years old of a notation i made on page 220 okay i just happen to have a really good memory and since as a mute child you don't have the senses that you would normally have, right? You have heightened senses. All you have are your eyes and your memories. And so I, I guess I just benefited from being mute. And it was almost like everything was on film. Uh, and, and that was just, and that's followed me, that, that innate talent has followed me you know, all my life. And, you know, I would, um, uh, you know, let me remind you that 
you know, I had thousands of images of my family, not like one or two or three, not hundreds, but thousands. Uh, I had, you know, I had was showered with the blessings of my mother every hour throughout the day. You don't forget things like that. And so, you know, I, I uh, you know, it, it just, you know, I, I know that we don't do readings on that show, but, I, you know, I did do a, a reading, which I'll summarize, which is, you know, I longed for my family every day. And I longed for a way to be in touch with them every day. And so what I did when I was five and a half years old through seven, and I'll give you an example of how I remembered them, is, is, is I lived in this adobe house and I would, and I found some of these extra bricks. And with these bricks, I would put them under my favorite tree and mm. I would, and I would have the same number of bricks for all the siblings. And, and each day I would ritually bury them every day. And I would then, then I would excavate them and talk to them and tell them what was happening that day and how much I love them, how much I was coming home, you know, and, and to not forget me. Mm -hmm. I did that for two years, you know, just to stay connected. And then by the time I was seven, my, you know, my mind had really opened and it turned out that I happened to be a modestly bright child. And uh, that's why I was advanced three, degree, you know, th three grades and everything else. Um, but uh, uh, it, you know, if I hadn't had that talent uh, of memory, it would have been different, but I do. And hmm. um, so. So what, what, what is your plan now to spread the word about your book? I mean, you're on this podcast, you know, you're, and are you getting the attention that it deserves? Where is, is, is people noticing? Um, are you, you know, are you getting emails from people? Are you, I mean, I like, where are you going next? With the well, you know, I, I think what I would do is I will continue to, to do national podcasts such as yours. Okay. You know, and that's been very important. And I've been able to, to do, uh, you know, um, uh, between a half dozen or or more of these, and I think that that will continue to build. You know what I what I'm looking for is obviously, you uh, you know people who who are responsive to this issue, agree that this thing that this abuse should be highlighted, and and uh, and then you know looking for looking for ideas from people about about how they think I would fit in. I'm an advocate. I have an idea about how, how I would fit in. You know, yeah. I don't have, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is just, my goal is, 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 is to break through and say, I'm here, I'm ready, you know, and, and let me be a part of it. Uh, so I'm working on that. Uh, you know, I'm, I am, I have some possibilities of, of, of being on, on, on other stations. I don't know, but I'm not giving up. And I'm not giving up this year. I'm not giving up next January when when it's the month of the trafficked child. I'm going forward. Uh, Why would anyone, like any journalist or any media station, not accept the story? I mean, like, look for example, why aren't you on CNN? And I ask that for me as a trained journalist, like this is this is a story. I mean, regardless of how I personally feel about it, this is a story that has to be told. Yeah. Why would any journalist refuse? to talk about this 
Well, you know, I'm, I, you know, that's that's a curious thing. I mean, you know, we are putting our our names before various people, and, uh, uh, you know, I I don't know. Uh, I mean, we have received 50 percent positive responses. Okay. And, and so that's good. I I don't know why the issue frightens people. It seems like it just uh-huh. seems like. You know, he wrote a book that's a little too intense. No, it's not too intense. It's seven damn pages. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I got over it. I'm, a, you know, like I'm a and, mom with children and it's. And, 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 and it was, I mean, it needed to be told. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and, and then, you know, go embrace this work because there's never going to be another me like me. There will be many abused. Mexican children, there will be many abused Chicano children and children of color every day right now. That's why there's an urgency to stop it now. And and so what, what I want to be able to convey, as, as I've been conveying to you so well, and you, and you, of course, picked up upon, which is there's no false urgency here. There's just an absolute urgency. This dialogue has to take place. Yeah. Yeah. And it can't take place exclusively at the hands of Caucasian representatives. It can't take place exclusively at the hands of people who have not gone through this experience. You know, uh, it needs it needs to take place with people who have lived it, shaped their entire lives by it, and have made and and have somehow made it a, a a success and are now willing to talk openly about what happened to them. So so you know I'm I'm um, you know I I share your own bewilderment but yeah. i'm not go- but but i'm not going anywhere and and because i think i owe it to my people i think i owe it to my family and um uh you know and 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 and, and i'm excited that uh, that uh that some of the environment is 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 changing i think i will break out eventually yeah uh, and 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 you know with you being one of the well being known as one of the early pioneers already but you being one of the early pioneers and this is going to be very helpful. I mean, I, I can't wait to, you know, release this episode. And, you know, it's, it's been amazing talking to you. Like, uh, it's just, I, I mean, I can't, I will never forget the story. Yeah. And, you know, any last words uh, you want to say, you know, because we're... we're uh, yes. Yes. Wanna, I, yeah. I, I, I do have a couple of last words, and let me just say that uh, uh, what what they were, and I don't. I let me just see if I can find them. You know, the last words that I that that I just wanted to, to to say was that I wanted to start as I end. You know, Antonio, we know you as a love story. It's a love story of my mother Petra, the Mexican families who helped me. The intervention by Sister Chavez at fifteen, which changed my life. It is a book about hope, perseverance, and pride. Although the book does discuss a theme of early child abuse. I swear to you, de le juro to my audience, that that is not the focus of my book. It's about victorious family reconciliations, something to be celebrated by all our people. And finally, it's about how we as Chicanos will continue to fight. And I want to thank your entire audience for for listening to me today and giving me even more strength to, to carry on. Thank you so much, Antonio. For anyone who is listening or watching, please, please, please read this book. 
It's called Antonio. We know you. Uh, it's on Amazon, um, and it's just you know I, I I finished it in one day, honestly. So it's just an amazing book. Please go buy it. And thank you again, Antonio. And and, and, it, and, and it and it can be and it can be bought on uh, on on virtually any platform. By the way, yeah. Uh, you know Barnes. You know Barnes and Noble. Oh, Amazon, okay. What have you under my name under the book? What have you? It's there. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, ma'am.